Hi, it's Dan here for Dusty Guesses Radio, and this is the podcast Liner Notes, revealing chats with Canada's retro music makers. Today, I'm very happy to have as my special guest, David Rashid, best known as keyboardist and songwriter for the popular 80s band Haywire. We'll get some insights from his career inside the Canadian music scene, and uh, hey, we'll see what he's up to now. So thanks for joining me today, David. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing great. How's, how are things in Vancouver? Well, good. It's uh, actually sunny here today. We get a lot of uh, bad rap for raining all the time, but everything's green and it is sunny today, so I'm happy. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> so were you born in Charlottetown? I was born in Charlottetown in 1964, yes. Wow, there you go. So you're a, you're a genuine islander. It's it's funny because I was, I was sort of laughing and I thought, well, you know, PEI is not exactly a mecca for music. But then if you think about it, I've, I've interviewed lots of people from the East Coast. And I mean, the kitchen music and the, and the roots music and the Celtic influences, like there's music everywhere. There's music everywhere and there's, there's not a lot to do here. So when people, you know, get the music bug or... They just, you know, fall in love with that. That's their passion. They just kind of, they just go for it. It, it seems yeah. uh, there's music everywhere. And did you have lots of influences growing up? Like the, the, the kitchen music or the, the uncle plays and the parents and everybody joins in? Not, not personally. Uh, you do hear that story quite a bit. Uh, mine yeah. was not that. Uh, my, my background is Lebanese. So I would have, you know, listened to some maybe, uh, uh, Lebanese music growing up when I was uh, first born. And uh, my first love was Elvis Presley. And then soon after that was Kiss and Led Zeppelin, Aerosmith. And I was kind of, I was more of the rock, rock instead of folky uh, background, right? Yeah. When you're, when you're involved with uh, rock music, you kind of tend to flock to those type of people that have, are like-minded. Yeah, fair enough. And of course, growing up in the neighborhoods, I mean, everybody and their dog was starting a band or had a band, or that was my experience. We're, we're similar in age. So we grew up at a time, but we listened to Led Zeppelin, but we listened to James Taylor and, and Cat Stevens too. You listened to everybody, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Which is, which was a nice time. It was a great time to grow up because the music was so rich. It was such a golden age. I, I you know, my, my earliest memory was is getting one of the album albums, whether it was Kiss Destroy or Kiss Alive or Elvis, and just looking at the album while it's playing, and you yeah. know maybe shaking it or looking at the liner notes and reading everything and looking at every picture. It was it was quite a special thing, and uh, I miss those days. And I think that uh, people today are they're missing that time to really sit with uh, with it, with music and to really dive into it. Yeah, no, good point. And and I've often said on the podcast how much uh, AM radio played in then eventually FM, but I mean, AM radio was huge back then and you were waiting for the new songs to come out and there's all these fantastic songs coming out and you're going, this is so great. <laughs> it was such a magical time. Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. So I, I'm always curious with people too that uh, that eventually go on to, to bigger and better things because everybody and their dog had a sort of a... a rough kind of band or you get a bunch of musicians together and hack out a few tunes but then you did you have a defining moment where you thought you know i might be able to make something out of this or i is this is really what i want to do well i knew early on that this is what i wanted to do it but that doesn't mean it's going to happen <laughs> right so just because i like doing it um you know my first band it's i i didn't want to do anything else so it wasn't it wasn't an option of i'm going to do this for a year or so and give it a shot and see what happens it was like, this is what I love to do, so that's what I love to do. My first band was like that. My second band was like that. My third band was like that. And we, when Haywire formed, 
um, it was the same kind of thing. It was we did it because it was the love of the music. That was really right. all it was about. Yeah, well, interesting because I often ask people, you know, did you have a plan or how much was planned and how much just happened? But you know, for myself too, I've been able to make a living for many decades playing music, but I never really overthought it. I just kind of did it. I didn't overthink it. I just kind of was doing it. You know, when when I look back, our our main objective when we formed Haywire was to form a band with members that didn't have ties that could leave the island and tour Atlantic Canada. That was really our main objective. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so we didn't really look past that. It's like, you know, when we, I remember we had a jam session early on uh, before the band was formed and, you know, a few different bands and uh, we hand selected uh, the members that could actually go away. And that's, that was the criteria. So if you met that criteria, we just move forward from there. Yeah, no, fair point. And because I always often ask people too, when you look back at the timelines, I mean, there was a lot of shuffling of the seats and a lot of shuffling of players. And, you know, part of that was probably just finding the right combination of players and songwriters. But the other part is, as you say, being willing to travel, being willing to invest the time and and make it a priority, which some guys just didn't want to do. Yeah, I think everybody in the band was on board. It was just the drummer was seemed to be the uh, the missing link. And when yeah. we finally uh, got Sean in the band, uh, he's been with us ever since 1985. So it's it's cool. kind of we you know we found the right guy. We just had to keep looking for him. That was into uh, the same mindset that we were in. Cool. And then you guys, I mean, you paid your dues. I, I've done enough research before the interview here, before the discussion today to see that you guys, you played clubs, you played covers, you you broke your originals out of that. You you paid your dues. You traveled lots. You did lots of six-nighters, I'm assuming. Oh, yeah. We, we never played so much as when we were a cover band. It was, you know, uh, when we started the band in, in 1981 was the conception of the band. Yeah. And we got signed in late 85. So for those four, four plus years, we were playing 300 and some days a year. It was just wow. keep going. It was like, okay, you're here for a week, here for a week. And we had a great agent at Halifax and, and yeah. he kept us busy and we, that's all we wanted to do. So, but there's no circuit like that today. I mean, you got to cut your teeth. You got that experience. You got your 10,000 hours in, as they say. Yeah, I feel again. I I really feel bad for the people trying to make it today because there is no, you know, back then. At not that there was an industry, but there was at least you could play. <laughs> like that's, play lots. Yeah, you just exactly. want to play. That's it. Yeah. And, you know, and that's where you get better as a band. For sure, because there's nights when you're not so great, and then the next night you go, you know what? I'm going to play better tonight. And I'm exactly. going to improve. And you can build on that and build on yeah. that. And when, like, you're, like I'm saying, we're playing 300 some days. It's like, you can really fine tune your set. Like after yeah. you play week after week after week. No, that's cool. And, uh, it, you know, I always appreciate it when you think uh, some bands are overnight success or whatever, but you guys went through the, um, uh, the contest too, you know, and, and it's funny cause it, battle of the bands was a big thing back in that day. And I, I, I went in one, I think, and I thought, you know, music for me isn't a contest. And so I, I kind of shunned that I, I did sound for some and I participated in some as an overseer, but I didn't want to go in them anymore. And yet you guys took that and, and made something from that. Well, there's, there's two of them that we participated in and we won both of them. Uh, one was Q104 Homegrown Contest right. uh, in Halifax, uh, which that was, was 84. Yes. Yeah. That was, that was a big thing. Like, yeah. you know, there's a little band from PEI coming over and 
who do you think you guys are? <laughs> That's, uh, <laughs> well, you know, we'll see, was, I guess, right? <laughs> it was just like, let's put it in, see what happens. And it's, you know, yeah. it's not going to really change anything, what we're doing. So we're going to do that. And then we're going to continue on. We we're looking at the long game, right? Yeah, fair enough. And uh, we ended up winning that, which was amazing. And uh, and then in St. John, New Brunswick, they had a, a battle of bands here as well, and we ended up winning that. And the neat story about uh, the one in New Brunswick is that we were the only band that uh, did all original music. Hmm. So I remember some of the other bands were doing the biggest hits of the time, and you know it was it was a no brainer. They were they had the audience in their in their hands, right? Yeah. And then we came on and we just did our original music. And it was like, uh, I remember hearing the judges comments afterwards. They were saying, if you believed enough in yourself to do original music at a show like this, uh, there's, there's gotta be something there. So yeah, we fair enough. Winning yeah. That, and they, they were right. Yeah, no, that's right. You have the chutzpah to go out there and say, you know what? We write songs too, because you know, it's funny. I've talked about a lot of the club bands, especially around Vancouver and stuff. And I know you guys came out here and played outlaws, I guess in yeah. the, in the eighties. But very few of those bands ever emerged to be recording acts. Almost all of them just kind of disintegrated eventually, and the club scene went away. Yeah, it's uh, you have to be really motivated, and you gotta always look at the next step. Where do we go from here? Yeah, and you can get kind of content with one thing, and then you know this is it, or this is just the beginning. We need to get to that next step. So, what do we need to do, and take a, a good look at ourselves? Yeah, and it speaks well of you because, as I say, most of them, and you know yourself, most of them didn't do that or take that next step. And then you you were on Fame Game as well, right? Was that the... Yeah, that's right. We started it. <laughs> well, that's cool. Well, the reason I ask about that is because, you know, you, the whole contest thing, obviously you made it work for yourself, but then people ask me about American Idol and The Voice and stuff. And I think, yeah, okay, you know, that's cool and everything, but some of the biggest stars that we have would have done very poorly on those shows. I mean, Neil Young or... Tom Petty or those guys, they, they would have done terrible on those shows. Right? There's a lot of bands like that, that aren't that kind of band, right? Yeah. Like they just, they are who they are and they're playing, you know, 300 days a year, whatever they're doing. And people are finding who they are and they're really good at what they do. So, and then there's other people that go on a show like that looking for, they just want the fast numbers. And that's what uh, I think a lot of those shows do. It's just, it's all about, uh, it's just getting your name out there and getting people to know who you are. I guess. And the, and then the the technical side of it, but it seems to me that's that's sort of the, the, the point where you can be technically really great. I mean, there's people that graduate every day from, from music schools that can sing very, very well and are very competent singers, but they don't have that Tom Petty sort of personality that, you know, that, that resonates with people. Yeah, you either have it or you don't, right? It's the yeah. it's the X factor they call it. Yeah, for sure. And then I watched your CBC interview from 1985. That that was right before you got your Attic record <laughs> deal, I assume. Yeah, where they're asking you about uh, you know where you're going and stuff. And you you seemed, how should I say, fairly mature back then. Like your responses, you were cerebral enough to to sort of engage with what they were saying, and you didn't seem like you were too caught up in. In, in you know in your own ego, I suppose is that fair? I, I know the interview you're talking about. Um, you know, we were always again. Haywire was a very serious. We took our job serious, 
like Marvin and I were the, the main writers and, and Ronnie and I were the main kind of not ran the band, but kind of the co-managers and just kind of, we just, everybody had their roles. And I think everybody took that responsibility seriously. And uh, I think that's what made it happen, right? Everybody knew mm -hmm. their place and knew what they needed to do. Yeah, because you were more mature than the, the sort of 20-something rock star, full-of-himself guy. Yeah, you didn't come across like that at all. Yeah, well, that that's great. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> no, it's good. I, I noticed I'm that. Like today, I'm like today, not the way I'm coming across now. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, the funny thing, the reason I mentioned that is because I've had Erica M on the, on the show here, right? And okay. I mean, she saw everything. And I mean, people would come in under the influence. They'd come in so full of themselves that you could hardly talk to them and stuff. Right. And she really said that you know that and then here you are you guys are pretty reasonable but you're down home guys too right you're not you're not the the, the glam guys full of yourselves guys you came from pei you got a band you think it's pretty decent you're trying to make something out of yourself that would seem to be the attitude you had yeah it's uh you know i remember going into much music in the day and they were really good to us uh very supportive and you know we took that as a very we, we took that very seriously. Yeah. Cool. And, uh, yeah, to go in there under the influence, I don't know if we would do that. <laughs> I don't know. If well, we, yeah. Yeah. It just depends. Maybe where you have a cold one afterwards, <laughs> but not, not before us for sure. Yeah. Well, fair enough. And then the other thing that always strikes me, obviously you got a record deal, but then categorizing the bands, like I've seen descriptions of you guys, hard rock and glam metal and, you know, heavy, or I, I don't know. It just, when I listen to it, it seems to me it was more, you, you had the keyboards, you had the synth pads. It's very 80s, but it, uh, I didn't think it was heavy metal, glam metal. I don't even know what that means, really. We were all about the songs. We were songwriters first. And I think the production, I, I think the record company needed to know what genre, where we fit in. Right. So whether it was, are you a pop band? Are you a boy band? Are you a... A metal band or your heavy band, rock band, pop. Where are you? Because we're, yeah, you know, their job is to when the single comes out, where are we going to invest our money to make this work? That's what they, that's their motivation, right? Yeah. So you know, w with the exception of our, I think our third album, Nuthouse, that was a heavy rock album, mm -hmm. but the first two albums were very pop rock oriented. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I love the synth and the pads and you got piano playing in there. There's a, nice harmonies. I mean, you're not, you're not screaming at anybody. It's funny. Uh, Marvin, our guitar player, he's, he's a big keyboard guy. He loves the sound of yeah. keyboards <laughs> and I'm the keyboard guy. I love the sound of the guitar. So we're, yeah. we're back and forth. He's pushing me up. I'm pushing him up. It's, it's oh, pretty funny actually. Yeah. And then you recorded, so the first album, you, you got your record deal, obviously from all the work that you'd done and you had self, um, produced an EP, I guess, before that too. So you guys were really doing your, your own due diligence, I guess, or your own work. Well, even back then, I remember record companies were looking to see what you can do. So they want right. to see, you know, okay, they invested their money. They did EP, they, they believe in themselves. They, you know, promoted marketing themselves you know, they want, they're not stupid. They want a piece of it. <laughs> they want yeah. to see if yeah, that can sure. happen. If, if you can move, you know, thousands of copies, you know, in your, your territory, how, how can this work for, for them? 
Yeah, fair enough. And you got Which lots of skin it, in the game at that point, right? Yeah. Your own so time and money. It, exactly, and it, it just it worked out great. And you know, we were we had a lot of record companies that refused. Um, you know, we got rejection letters yeah. after time and time and time again. And then Attic Records and A and M uh, was associated with them. They really heard something in the band and took a chance on us. And uh, cool. Yeah, it's we we needed to. We we're at a point where we we're ready for that, and uh, yeah, it was a great time. Well, it was mid '80s, and then so probably eighty. It was '86 when uh, uh, Bad Boys came out. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you went to Metalworks, and you had Brian Allen producing you guys. So That's that must right, have been yeah. kind of surreal, eh? Going into the now you're in the big city with the big boys. Oh yeah, no, it's it's go time. So let's yeah. do this. <laughs> yeah. No, well, we just did our parts and we just kind of, you know, we trusted them and worked with a lot of great engineers. And uh, yeah, we were touring, I think that summer with Kim Mitchell and we, yeah, we just did the recording, released it and we we're on the road. Wow. Nice. And then uh, Bad Bad Boy, I guess, and Standing in Line and Shot in the Dark. I mean, you had some tunes on there, right? Because that's, that's kind of the litmus test, right? Okay, yeah. what do you got? We got some songs we can get some play on and and you did. Exactly. And it was, again, it was, a, it was really good. Radio was really uh, great to the band and uh, much music. Again, the music videos was, it was a really good time for that too. So it, it kind of really helped with the radio play. Yeah. And I remember uh, being on tour with Kim Mitchell and uh, I think we we're playing Saskatoon and half the audience were singing all our songs. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it's like cool. that's the first time where it was like, okay, this is really happening. This isn't PEI. This is yeah. Saskatchewan, and they're they're singing our songs. Yeah, no, that's so. cool. Well, you got some good hooks. You know, I mean, "Shot in the Dark" was cool. I remember that and a good hook, and you got radio play, and and people are singing along. I mean, that's a that's a thrill. And then, so you you were one of the main songwriters, and yes. uh, so then you know, I was thinking, do you fall into the mode of? chasing hit songs or like you know the singer songwriter has personal expression right you write songs from your heart because they mean something to you and and they sort of resonate with other people so they mean something to them too but in these kinds of cases the record company's saying well we need you know we need some singles we need some hit songs here so when you're writing how does it affect that well when you're you mentioned the first album uh the first album was a lot of i mean you have your you hear the story you have your whole life to write the first album so that's right, yeah. <laughs> The pressure is really on the second album, <laughs> yeah. Because everybody's like, okay, are they a one-hit wonder? Is that you know? Is there anything else they have to say? Right. So I remember coming off that tour, and everybody just kind of dispersed and did their own thing. And you know, I took a course uh, at the local college, and I just everybody just wanted a break. And then the mm -hmm. record company came back and said you know, we need our second album and you need to get into the studio in a few months. So get writing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like ooh, homework. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like, okay, stop what you're doing. It's, it's, it's go time. So Marvin and I locked ourselves into, uh, every album was a different rehearsal spot. So I'm just trying to think of what, yeah, but don't just stand there. I think we were down, um, just by the bridge here in Charlottetown. And, uh, we just started writing and we would write the first album was, it, he would write a song, I would write a song, I'd write the lyrics to his song. And we were just kind of two writers that worked, you know, we just kind of brought all our songs to the project. 
Mm -hmm. uh, but the second album was more of a, uh, we worked together. So we did everything together. Yeah. And we really felt that that was the way, the, the future for the band, the writing was, okay. that, that was the way to go. So then you, you sort of upped your game. Well, you came up with Dance Desire, which, you know, to me, when I think of, when I hear the name Haywire, that's what I think of. But you went back to Metalworks, you went back with Brian Allen, but the band has sort of a darker look. Your hair is a bit longer. You have a bit more swagger. The voice is a little raspier. Like it's just, it just kind of upped your game a little bit, I think. Is that fair? Yeah, I think we're more comfortable in our role, what we, the kind of band we wanted to be. Uh, and it was just, I think it was just maturity is what you're hearing there on that album. Yeah. Just, just more, I don't know, a bit more swagger, I think, especially in the videos and stuff, you can see it, right? Just, and then of course, Dance Desire is the kind of song that every band wants to get, but very few do get it, right? Yeah. So, so that's, no, it was, it, it's funny because yeah. that, I was just talking about this the other day, just, I remember writing that album and even being in the studio when doing the final mixing and, uh, I personally... Um, I don't know what the other guys, if they feel the same, but I couldn't hear what my, as a songwriter, you love all the songs on the right. album equally. They're like your kids. It's like, you know, yeah. I just like, I like this collection of songs, but it's, you know, the record company needs to, you know, to promote a song and a video, you know, it gets to that other position. So we, we do the music part, we do the, our section, and then we, you know, the record company comes in. And they, uh, you know, they needed to pick the first two or three singles off the album. Right. And uh, so why they picked Dance Desire over another song that maybe I like better, I don't know. But uh, they well, selected right. <laughs> as a musician, you know, and somebody, I played the clubs all through the 80s and 90s and well, still still the odd one. We do mostly theaters and, and festivals and stuff now. But um, back then, I mean, you, Dance Desire was played in the clubs two or three times a night for sure. Yeah. Wow. Wow. You know, so, I mean, you heard it all the time because so just from that aspect of it, I guess they would have thought, well, Hey, if the dance clubs play this, they're going to go out and buy the records and we'll get some, some airplay and it'll just grow from there. No, it's, it's, it's great. It's, uh, I'm glad I didn't have to make that decision. Cause I don't think I, <laughs> I don't know. I'd still be trying to decide. Well then, but again, back to the songwriting, how do you repeat that? Like I had a friend that had a successful tune and the record company said, well, we want 10 more songs like that. And he goes, well, that's not the way I write. I mean, yeah, you know, it, it's not the way you write and you don't write like that. It's like, that's great. So then you have to write after that. We were, you know, we kind of went through a couple of things with the band and, you know, then we went to our nut house phase, which is, right. you know, which was great. But I mean, we grew up on Led Zeppelin, Aerosmith and yeah. uh, James Brown and Prince. We're, we're all over the place. Like we, right. we liked rock music and it's like, you know, let's, let's do what we'd like to do. <laughs> yeah. So that's what, well, uh, that's what, well, uh, as a musician, was. I like that. I mean, like operator central is super cool. Like that's yeah. a very cool, heavy tune. I love it. But, and then short end, end of a wishbone is, is almost a Southern rock feel almost fast and heavy yeah. and cool. And then, and then you do get back, which is super funky and, and heavy and cool. It's almost like spin doctors. It reminds me of, right. So no, it's again, it's, you can hear the influences of Prince and the James Brown that, you know, Paul and I would listen to yeah. every day before our, we'd go out on stage because that's what we, that's was our kind of our, you know, pick me up song. Right. Yeah. But I love, as a musician, I love that. I thought that was super cool. Now the record companies, maybe not so much because you're diverging from 
in music, I don't. I think repeating yourself is probably the worst thing you can do. Honestly, yeah, you got to grow you know, it's, somewhat. It's, right? Yeah, I, I think as soon as you start to think that you have to write this for you, be, you're very calculated. I think yeah. that's uh, that's a very dangerous place to be in. Right, and then uh, in Get Back, you have, is that a female singer you have in there? Yeah, there's a couple uh, background vocalists on that. That studio singer. Yeah, it's good though. It sounds cool. Oh, she, yeah. Uh, she also sang on, uh, no, it's a different singer, on Angel, uh, on the second album. If you listen to the end of Angel, oh my gosh. It's yeah. just some just beautiful melodies. You were just wailing. So how many studio guys, how many studio people did you bring in when you were recording? Is it mostly just the band or did you bring in other people? Yeah, no, it was in mostly just the band. Uh, there's a couple instances where we brought some female vocals to kind of support uh, a couple lines, the ones that you mentioned. And there was, a, I think, a conga player that played in, uh, I think, Get Back. There was some real drums or real uh, real conga. Or, Super yeah, cool no. tune, man. Like, like I, when I do these interviews, I get to go through the catalog and kind of listen to some stuff again. And, and I forgot how cool some of that stuff is. And that, that one really struck me like wow yeah it's a, it's a lot of fun it's a that's we still re- do that uh when we regroup and then you did buzz which is a smoother sort of synth medium tempo and then and the guitar player does the stairway to heaven solo yeah <laughs> verbatim by the way <laughs> i know oh yeah people don't make that connection eh oh i heard it right away because we <laughs> <laughs> i know you would but it's like <laughs> oh, that was great so you know, so your record deal lapsed. Like you had a five record deal, right? Yeah. And you did four, and then they did a compilation. Is that what happened? Yeah, we the last album. The last album, we were we went to our manager and we were like, we need to get out of this deal because we just we weren't happy with the deal. Okay. And uh, I think the whole record industry was kind of changing at that time. Yeah. Did you get caught in the '80s transition to the '90s? Do you think? Uh, I, I know we did. Yeah. <laughs> I, m- I remember playing and it was like, you know, we just doing a couple shows and our, you know, it was just when grunge and hip hop and all that stuff was just coming out and the yeah. old rock that we were doing was, it was just old. It was like, this is not what people want. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, we just kind of get our head around how this is going to work. And we couldn't see how we fit in that mix. Right. But you're you know, barely could- 30 years old at this point. I mean, yeah, 30 yeah. years old, but with 20 years experience yeah, there in the you band, go. right? Because I've so, heard that from a few few guys that, that that the transition really was, you know, the club scene was coming to a close and the, the glam sort of 80s and the well, the, the dive bomb and the Eddie-esque kind of guitar playing and stuff was was kind of becoming a little more passe, I guess, is a, is a way to put it. I, don't, I think everybody was doing it. And it was just, you know, not to take away from Marvin because he's a monster guitar player and he still yeah, is. I just think music just changed and people were listening to different things. And I, I don't think Haywire, because we talked about that. It's like, how does this work? How do we fit into this? And it's like, yeah. we don't. <laughs> we don't yeah, fit into this. Yeah, that's right. I mean, to put your baseball hat on backwards and wear a Mac jacket and go out and that's not going to be your thing at all. No, right? no. So. no. Took some time off. Everybody did different things, and uh, yeah. yeah, it just, it worked out great. But we just we needed to take a, a little time away. Yeah. So just one aside that I have to ask you about: there was more than one band named Haywire, right? Like there was there's a few Haywires out there when I was doing my research. Yeah, there's a, a country band. There's a couple. 
Yeah, there's a band in the U.S. There's a couple couple around yep. for sure. Which is funny because you'd think that the record company would fix that or look after that, you know, especially yeah. when they're marketing albums under that name. I'm not sure of the full story yeah. behind it's, it, but it's like I think they were just thinking in their market. It's like you know, I don't think it was a problem. It wasn't yeah. a problem initially till it became a problem. Like, and right, not it just never. It's it's more on the other end. I feel bad for people going to see Haywire, and it's like, oh, who are you? <laughs> who are those guys? Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> so well, so you were you were on your way. I mean, you you took the ride, right? You got I saw you on Much Music, like I said, with Erica M. and and uh, did you guys get to where you wanted to be, or did you want some success in the U.S.? Did you have any? Did you delve into the U.S. market at all? Yeah, we uh, there was a couple of shows we did, and we entertained uh, some people from New York that flew up to see us. We were that was really our, you know, I talked earlier about okay, our this is our next step. So the U.S. market would definitely have been our next step, and yeah. we were ready for that in I think in the early '90s or late '80s for sure. And you know that was the logical next step. So we were kind of entertaining that, and that just didn't happen for whatever reasons and. It's that's that's it. So did Dance Desire get play in the states or or, or cross border play? I heard it got played in uh, in California a little bit, in Florida a little bit. There was some yeah. pockets of stuff. Uh, we see the the royalty sheet and it's like, oh, that's kind of weird. It's I didn't hmm. know it was released there. It's like, okay, yeah. but it's it's being played. So I think people take it uh, and play it in different markets yeah because i've talked to quite a few people who who have talked about the u.s market saying you need a u.s deal and you need somebody down there that's going to write the checks that need to be written yeah. to get what you need to get even if you have a good song it's not yeah. enough i know it's yeah that's the part that we <laughs> couldn't get our head around uh we did sign with a record company in uh i think they were in california uh they released one of our albums it, it, i don't know the details of it, it yeah, I don't, I don't. But if you're not paying the independent music trackers and and the yeah, promoters, if you don't have stuff, deep pockets, it's not going to happen. Yeah, that's uh, which I didn't realize, and and I think I heard somebody say a couple of years ago it takes something like a million dollars to break a song in the United States because of all the people you have to pay and all the promo you have to do. Yeah, I don't know. That's a random number, but it, the point being that it's expensive. It's not. It is expensive. Write a good not, song yeah. and everybody loves you, and you're a rock star the next day. It's, that's a fantasy. Yeah. You know, now you have, you know, I can be at home and I can upload something and it can be a overnight success right there you go. <laughs> today. Yeah. So it's, it's just a different, uh, it, it's, it's so different now, the, the music industry. Yeah. Well, the other thing to, that I try to keep in mind too, is that, yeah, you're, you the shifting out of the eighties that, that affected a lot of people, but also you're competing at one of the toughest times with all these major bands cranking out hits. I mean, if you look at the the hit songs that came out between, let's say, 1981 when you started and 1991, it's unbelievable. All these fantastic bands putting out these great songs, and you're trying to find your way within all of that. And you guys did more so than than most others could. A tough. The market. nice thing is that, like, we were fans of that music as well, so we we got what they were doing. Right. It's not like, you know, we were just kind of thrown in this river and it was like, oh, it's like, no, we, we understood it. And we just, we swam with the big boys, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. You got your shot. You got your ride, right? Yeah. Did you like the traveling and the, and the touring and stuff? Part oh, of I it? loved, I loved that part of it. Yeah. 
Yeah, it never it was never an issue for for me personally, and uh, yeah, it was just kind of like just exciting, like going to the next yeah. town, next town, and when you did lots of your own shows, but you backed up some other people, and you got to go to Japan, you got to fair fair bit of stuff. You got to go to Norway, I guess, to record your third album. Is that right? Yeah, I I loved all of that. Okay, cool. Like flying to Japan it was just it was. It was just trying to be in the moment and trying to yeah. enjoy the moment because, you know, how many times do you go to Norway for three or four months? It doesn't yeah. happen, yeah. right? Yeah, it, they, they come and they go, and they when once they're gone, that's it. No, it's, so. it's, uh, it's a real gift, and I'm, I'm glad yeah. I went through it, and, uh, you know, oh, I, cool. I'm grateful for the band for, <laughs> for, yeah. for what they achieved and just being part of it. Oh yeah, no, it's fantastic. Like I said, you did you did more than most, and lots of people had aspirations to do what you did and weren't able to do it. So it uh, speaks well of you and your success. And then I guess you guys all eventually went your own way and got regular lives and jobs and families. And I guess you started a production company. Is that right? With yeah, I have a record. I'm yeah. sitting in my recording studio right now, and nice. uh, I do yeah. a lot of media production here in Charlottetown, and uh, yeah. our bass player. Uh, he was always interested in real estate, so he's doing that. Um, nice. Yeah. Marvin still plays, and he has a little recording studio as well. And Paul's yeah. in Newfoundland. He does uh, some side work uh, uh, that he does. And our drummer, Sean, is in Toronto. He's doing a lot of theater work. And Nice. The nice thing yeah. is that everybody still keeps their chops up, so when there's a haywire call that happens, <laughs> yeah. everybody still can play. Yeah. So we just nice. kind of regroup, do the show, and everybody – <laughs> leaves yeah. and goes back home after no good for you well and and the audio video i guess you did some jingles and stuff too you do pretty much whatever needs to be done but it keeps you in the game right oh yeah and i play a lot too i, I play keyboards i play everything in the studio and yeah no it's it's great i i love doing it I, yeah very nice and then i saw with your twin daughters ava and lily you were playing yeah. with them as well that that's must be neat as a dad yeah they're uh, actually uh they're gonna be here they're playing oh, nice. uh for a, a, a Christmas telethon uh, that's on uh, CTV Music. Well, very that's, cool. Uh, they're filming for today, so yeah. they're gonna they're getting so ready. They're doing a couple songs for that. You were blessed with two twin with twin daughters, and then they're musical as well. So it's a double blessing. Yes, yeah, you're right. That's, no, and I have four good. children, but they're the babies, so they right. turned twenty, and uh, they have the music bug naturally. And uh, yeah. I try to give them advice, but unfortunately, the advice that I I know is, is not relevant today, which is oh, well. really sucky. <laughs> yeah, I guess. But, uh, well, it's neat that you were able to, to sort of have a, let's say a normal life where you were able to have a family and, and have a business and stuff too. Cause I know lots of musicians, friends of mine that weren't able to do that. They, they sacrificed too much. And I often ask people, what, what did you sacrifice to get the success that you had? And sometimes it's, it's way too much. So you were able no, to do all, it all. It's all about balance, right? It's you, you need balance or it's not going to happen. Oh, well, good. Because that, you know, I mean, the thing is that it's fun to take the ride and it's fun to do the music and stuff. But if you're, if your life isn't together, then it's sort of, you know, how successful can you be if you're not comfortable in your own skin or you haven't done other things in your life? So I'm, yeah. I'm always happy to hear that. So that, that makes me happy. You know, it, it, the music industry, like you were talking about and the playing and all that stuff can really depending on your personality can really uh, be detrimental to you or can be a positive experience. Yeah. And thankfully it was positive for us, but you could see how it could be a very negative uh, thing yeah, very absolutely. quickly. Right. Yeah, for sure. 
and then uh, you guys, so you guys regrouped in 1999. Is that right? Haywire regrouped and did some dates. And I saw some interviews from 2004. How did that come yeah. about? Did you guys just get on the phone and say, hey, why don't we go out and uh, people still like our music? Why don't we go out and play some of it? Well, which is really funny. That was Y2K was going to happen. Right. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> end of the world. <laughs> so at the end, the world was going to end. And yes. uh, so my wife and I, was living. we were living in Cambridge, Ontario at the time. Yeah. And so we bought a generators, kerosene, a whole bunch you? of stuff for the end of the world. <laughs> and the, what do we do? We fly to PEI where we have nothing. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, how does this work? Oh, yeah, we're going to, okay, let's go there. Yeah. Anyway, so we flew to PEI. We did a New Year's Eve show and it was great. And it was, cool. it was nice to see the guys. And it was, it was like riding a bike, right? You, yeah. You, you don't miss a beat. And, and that we, Played half dozen times uh, every year since. No, oh, that's good. And it's nice that you can remain friends. I mean, when you look back on the timelines, it was, it is a bit of a blur, right? I mean, you're, you're just going, following your nose and wherever it goes and doing what you think you need to do. And then when you got a second, you can look back and reflect on it. It's nice that you can be friends and you can enjoy the success you had and kind of relive that in some measure now with your buddies. Yeah, no, it's, it's almost the getting together that's, the best part it's cool. like to see these guys because you don't see them all the time and get together do a gig and afterwards just to chat with them and get caught up and have a drink and it's it's quite awesome yeah that's neat yeah that's that's a good story i appreciate we genuinely we we liked each other yeah <laughs> that's what, okay. that was the biggest uh the motivation yeah. of the band right well, that's funny because we, we always have a joke when somebody says, how long has your band been together? The answer is, well, long enough to hate each other, which is, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> unfortunately is true in some cases. But, you know, when you, when you're, when you start out, you're playing with your buddies and you go out on the road and there's a, there's a camaraderie and there's a bonding that takes place because you're in some beat up old van, you're trying to get to the next gig and you're, you're out there fighting the world together to do something that you love. And it really does connect you in a way that very little else would. It's pretty special. It's a special yeah. relationship. And then you did uh, three gigs just in 2023 here. You were out my way. You, were, you played out at the um, the Albion Fairgrounds there for Maple the Ridge, Maple yeah. Ridge Rock Fest. That's, uh, yeah, I've played on that property many times, but uh, I wasn't able oh. to, I, we were out of town, so I wasn't able to go to that. But, uh, and then I, I saw some video from Casino Rama. That's in Aurelia, I guess, is where you were. Okay. Yeah. I watched that and you were, you were opening for Mickey Thomas. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. That was nice. awesome. He has a lot of songs. <laughs> and good. And, and my buddy played, um, cause my, my buddy plays drums with Mike Reno sometimes and said that he, they did a sound check with Mickey Thomas and he still sings fantastic. Like his oh, voice. Yeah. Is- I was, I was blown away. I was there for the sound check and it's like, it's amazing. Like he was doing Jane and stuff. It's like, this yeah. is friggin' amazing. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. No, good. Well, good for you guys. That must've felt great. And, and, uh, looked like there was lots of people there and everybody enjoying the tunes. Again, it's always good to regroup and, uh, you know, hopefully there's going to be more of that in the future. Yeah. Well, so, cause sometimes, you know, with the retro artists like yourselves, I ask, you know, who's your audience these days? And, you know, obviously it's, it's the people that loved your music before, but you're trying to garner new listeners and then, and then refurbish some of the older listeners. Like I hadn't listened to a bunch of that stuff for a long time. And then I researching to talk to you today, I listened to it a bunch and go, this is super cool. Like really good stuff there. So who's your audience these days and how do you find them? Well, you know, it's really, uh, you know, just talking about my daughters, uh, you know, they, like, I don't go around playing Haywire in the house. Like, I just never did that. Right. Um, so they, 
would have heard about haywire outside the house. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, you're oh, okay. I remember going to their kindergarten playing some Christmas songs. Yeah. And I the, the kids are asking me, play bad, bad boy, play it's like <laughs> that's funny. Well, it's like, okay. And the, the, you know, my daughters are like, what are they saying, Dad? What are they saying? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's it's quite something. So I think I think the people are, you know, songs that meant a lot to them growing up. They're playing for their kids, they're playing around the house. And yeah, I think that's how people are are knowing the new hay, new hayware stuff. Well, I guess, and I mean, social media, it's funny because when I first started doing the podcast, we've done tons of them now, well over a hundred and, uh, closer to 150 probably. But I, I, at first I would ask people a question, how has the music business changed in the last 50 years? And of course, everybody would just laugh because it's a completely different world, right? So then yeah. when the retro artists like yourselves, I mean, yeah, you got your, your diehard fans that are always going to love you guys for what you did. And then you've got social media and websites and you want to record. I don't know if you're recording any new stuff. Are you guys going to put out anything newer? Uh, it's funny you should mention that. <laughs> I was hoping that wouldn't come up. But it, <laughs> uh, actually, uh, Ronnie and I are putting the finishing touches on uh, new recording. We're not sure when we're going to release it. We're not sure. We're not sure of anything. Right. We just know yeah. that we recorded it because we can. And and that's it. It was just, it was kind of like uh, Marvin summed it up a while ago. He said, it's just kind of the, it closes off our catalog is what, the way he described it yeah. years ago. And he's probably right. It's so Hopefully you'll hear that before right. too long. I, I'm not going to say a date because yeah. I've said a date before and uh, years have come and gone and <laughs> it's just not going to happen. <laughs> but that speaks to the larger point that I'm making, right? Is that it's a whole different universe now. I mean, where's your audience? Where do you find them? How do you promote it? I mean, I've, I've got some songs too, but I'm, to be honest, I'm not really quite sure what to do with them. I think, well, for a band like us, I think it's just to release them that the people are looking for a haywire stumble across it online and they, they hear of it that way. And we play it live. You know, you don't have the record company supporting you and putting, investing a lot of money to take it to radio. So I don't know right. how that works. I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know the answer. <laughs> well, yeah. And I think that's, that's a good answer because it's, it's a, the wild west. But then the other thing is you've, you've got some, sort of a springboard from your past success, but then you don't want to right. just be strictly nostalgia. And then you want to do something that people can listen to and, and be refreshed by it. Not just a yeah. rehash of what you did in the past, but something that's a little bit cool and a little bit sort of newish or it's, it's a, it's a bit of a, I don't know. It's, it's not, it's hard to define. I guess, I guess it comes down to, do people care what you have to say? Is it relevant to them? What you're saying? Right. It, it, so Hopefully what we have said in this catalog of songs that we're going to release, uh, when we do release it, uh, strikes a chord with somebody, you know, yeah. whether they're like, oh my gosh, I, you know, I, I feel this way. I want it to, they're just waiting for that. Yeah. Hopefully that's point. the case. I, I don't know if that's going to be, I don't know. I don't know the answer. To this well, question. you make a good point. And then the other part of it is that, yeah, you don't have the record companies and people pushing it, but you don't have the pressure either. You yeah. can just say, Hey, here's, here's what we did. We like it. We think it's kind of cool. See what you think. Yeah. No just, pressure. Exactly. 
if you like the stuff before, maybe you'll give this a shot. See if you yeah, like this. Nice. That's well, it. good. Well, I look forward to hearing that. It's, that's super cool. I'll follow your uh, page and stuff and, and see when it comes out and have a listen. Well, and, I hope uh, you're not disappointed. Yeah, well, <laughs> I know, you know if I don't hear from you, I know that <laughs> I know you're how you feel. Well, again, you know, when you get older, you you're a bit more philosophical about stuff, right? And just go, you know what? I've I've got to sing and play music. It's kind of my calling, and I'm, you know, if if this is as good as it gets, it's pretty good. So I'm good. We're and lucky then, so, we're able to do what we do. That's the way I look at it. Hundred percent. You know, it's. Uh, it's been a, a blessed life if you get to play music. When you study history and you see what some people had to do to make a living and stuff, and we get to do what we do, it's it's, it's pretty blessed something. life for sure. Yeah, you're right. So what would you do looking back if you had to if to change something about the course of your career or make a decision differently? Or is there anything you would change looking back? I don't know if i change anything. I would just, honestly, I would make sure that I absorb it all. I'd slow down a little bit. Yeah, okay. I just wish that I... You know, when we were in Norway, I just, just maybe, you know, when I was walking on that bridge, going to the studio every day, it's like maybe stop on the bridge and look at the water, yeah. just stop for 10 minutes, you know, flying to right. Japan, maybe stop and just look at downtown Japan. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? Yeah, no, for sure. Everything's coming at you at a hundred miles an hour, right? Yeah. And you you're just trying to keep up. Like, yeah, I think I would just slow down and just savor it because it's. Again, like we said earlier, it's it's not going to last forever. So yeah. And what about management? Because you know it's it's funny. Like you watch a documentary like like Bruce Allen when he broke BTO and stuff, right? I mean, he was a complete pit bull. He went on the road with those guys, and he made sure that they got everything that they needed. And then, you know, he was really edgy and and intense about the albums and pushing it. And these are my boys, and I'm going to get them out there and get the U.S. deals and that. Do you think that things would have been different if you had a pit bull sort of? Bruce Allen kind of manager for Haywire. Uh, it's funny that you mentioned Bruce Allen because we met with Bruce Allen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm dropping we the names here. I don't know what's going yeah. on. Yeah. <laughs> so we went to Vancouver and we met with him and he's like, why are you guys here? <laughs> oh, really? yeah. And it was like, well, well, we just, you know, can you do anything for us? It was, we were, you know, interested in him managing because we liked his history. We liked his background. Yeah. And it was just, uh, I think it was at a point, I think it was managing Anne-Marie, Anne-Marie at one point. He managed uh, Anne-Marie, he did, yes. Yeah. So it was just kind of, I think he was at, at the back end of his career. You know, when he managed, you know, BTO and Brian Adams and all the other bands that he had, I mean, he he was very intense. He rode those guys like rented mules. I mean, they had to put out, but he, he got them what they needed is my point. Yeah. So. I, I think you do need somebody in your corner and uh, playing that, that, that game and, and a real go-getter and really to have a clear direction on where he wants you to go. I think that's, yeah. that's crucial. Well, good. Well, so your bucket list is pretty obvious at this point, right? You're going to keep your production company going. You're recording some tunes. You got your daughters doing their music. Sounds like you're pretty, uh, pretty happy. Yeah. No, life is good. Life is good. I can't complain. Yeah. Good. Well, that's good to hear. Many thanks to my guest, David Rashid, for being part of the Liner Notes podcast and sharing some insights from his career and the interesting life that he's lived. More information is available at haywireband.ca. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and invite you to subscribe to it and share it on social media so others can enjoy it as well. And we also invite you to listen to Dusty Discs Radio Tuesdays and Thursdays to hear music from the Canadian artists you're hearing on this show. So until next time, I'm Dan Hare.